Davy, go Davy, go. Go Davy, go Davy, go. Go Davy, go Davy, go. One, two, three, four. Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about effective systems, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad you guys are back with us. It's another week. Another week, another day, another dollar. Yep, that's what they say. That's, that's what, what the scriptures say. say. <laughs> <laughs> you can find that somewhere in there. Yeah. But anyway, we're excited to jump in. Guys, We're uh, if you've not been with us, we are doing... Uh, kind of a series through 10 characteristics of a healthy church that we were part of a committee helping define. Mm-hmm. And each episode, we're talking about one of those characteristics. And today we're going to be talking about effective systems. Yeah. Effective systems. Effective systems, Dave. Now, this is something you are really terrible at. I mean, <laughs> I know I have been under your leadership and uh, I'm just kidding. So uh, before we dive in, because I know you've got some thoughts on this, as you in the you know past year and a half have stepped into a senior leadership role, and now a lot of this is resting on your decision making and leadership. So before we dive in, give us a, a little definition. Define for yeah. us what an effective system is. So uh, as you said, one of the characteristics of a healthy church is effective systems, and this is the way we define effective systems. Effective systems involves having clear policies and helpful procedures that enable the church to accomplish key tasks in a repeatable and right way. So let me say that again. And it says church, but this could be business, company, organization, team. Effective systems involve having clear policies and helpful procedures that enable the church to accomplish key tasks in a repeatable and right way. So right there in the definition, we have some clarity as to what it requires us to have up front, uh, some policies and some procedures, but also what the purpose of them is to enable the church to do things that it needs to do that are crucial for the church's mission in a way that is not just correct, but in a way that can be done repeatedly correct, right? And there's Mm. a big difference between doing something right once versus creating a system where it can be done the right way every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So let's let's dive in a little bit, and I want to first start off by talking about why uh, effective systems are necessary. What are some of the benefits of having effective systems? And then we're gonna cha- we're gonna talk about why they're challenging sometimes. So first, give us some give, give me one of your thoughts on why are effective systems so necessary and important. Well, I think effective systems are necessary because it's not an issue of whether you have systems or you don't have systems. It's a whether it's an issue of whether or not you have effective systems or ineffective systems. Mm. So when you yeah. paint it that way, you realize, well, yeah, the effective systems is the way to go. I don't want ineffective systems. The okay. point is, is Ex- that explain that to me. So everybody has a system or systems. That yeah, the systems is simplest definition of systems. And now our listeners are going to be like, why don't you just start with this? <laughs> <laughs> the simplest definition of systems is it's just a way of getting things done. Yeah, right. It's how you get things done, and so. Any organization that's getting stuff done as simple as opening the doors of their church or their um, shop, turning the lights on, paying the bills, serving the customers, um, hiring people, firing people, scheduling people, right? Anything that gets done requires a system to get it done. It doesn't get done on its own. Now, the, the question is, are the systems in place effective? Are they known? Are they articulated? Are they written down? Are they repeatable? So... Why is it so important? The reason why effective systems is so important is because everyone has a system and the difference between having an effective system and an ineffective system sometimes is a difference between accomplishing your mission and not accomplishing your mission. So really, not to 
not to exaggerate or use hyperbole, like there's a lot at stake yeah. when it comes to missions there's, or uh, systems. The other issue is, and we'll get more into this, but ineffective systems, bad systems, ununderstood or unarticulated systems often create a lot of problems as it relates to people making decisions that are not in step with the culture of the organization. Yep. Um, things getting done, but done in the wrong way or in a way that actually opens up a church or an organization to, to other dangers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you touched on at the end there. Cause I think this is one of, for me, one of the things that's so important about effective systems is um, it's hard to create culture without systems that support the culture you want to create. So you can in your mind think, okay, maybe I've stepped into an unhealthy culture and I want to create health. And I kind of have a picture of what that would look like. But the only way to move from unhealth to health, as far as culture goes, is to have systems in place which reinforce and support mm-hmm. what you're trying to create. Because otherwise, um, it's just a, it's just in your mind. It's not communicated. Nobody understands it. And people are operating in what they've just been used to. And so you may have a, a church or a small business where the system is, we all stand and around and wait until the guy who's in charge tells us what to do. Mm-hmm. That's our system. That's a, that's a way of getting things done. That's a way of getting things done. And you as a leader may come in and go, this is not healthy. I want to empower leaders. I want to create. But if you don't put in systems that are in place and then hold yeah. people accountable to them, it's going to be hard to change the culture from what it is to what you want it to be. There's there's also the challenge. So, so I had two thoughts as you were talking. Um, the idea that certain systems that are in place – ways of getting things done, they're just not sustainable. So what you described as far as one guy telling everyone what to do, what happens if something happens to that one guy? Mm. The system doesn't last. It's not sustainable, right? right? Um, but the other thing is, it's from a church standpoint, it's really not biblical either for somebody to sort of be the person who tells everyone what to do as opposed to equipping people to do things on their own and lead others. So right. um, you know, we were talking even before we started to record about Way, things that systems do for us, right? And one of the things you said is that systems protect us. Yeah, um, We've touched on this a little bit, but give us some insight into that. What do you mean when you say systems protect us? Well, I think they protect us in a lot of ways. One, which is probably the most obvious, is um, when you're an organization or particularly a church, um, proper systems and procedures that are implemented can protect you from uh, bad things happening, you know, so, uh, simple systems on how you handle children and children's workers and Mm -hmm. check in and check out. Um, those protect you from bad things happening, like kids getting taken or, um, something happening to a child because there wasn't a proper system in place. And so systems are really helpful and essential, I would say, in creating safety and creating a, and certainly from a church perspective, you want, you're, you want a church to be a safe place where people can come and know that their kids are, are going to be taken care of well. And it's not enough just to go, oh, well, I know everybody. I know Sister Betty and I know this, per-, you know, we're, it's not enough to do that because um, unless you have systems in place where people are being held accountable, uh, it, it becomes very easy for mm. a slip up, for someone to just oh, who cares, you know, whatever, that's our culture. And if something happens, we're not safe and we're not protected. One of the challenges, I think, when you're helping a church grow numerically is it begins to, especially if you inherit a church or you walk into a church where it's like, it's kind of got this small community vibe to it, you know, less than 100 people or whatever, and everybody knows each other and everybody sort of trusts each other. And then the church begins to grow and you start to um, sort of um, articulate and write out more policies and procedures and systems. And sometimes it can feel to people like, 
they don't trust us anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how do you how do you address that as a leader? Like, how would you say someone, hey, why do we need all this, all these systems, these procedures and these policies? Why can't you just trust people? Yeah. I think you attach it to to vision and to mission and reminding people of here's here's why we do what we do. You know, I was actually at a, a local church here in the area recently, and as I was walking out, I saw one of the signs that they had on uh, right by the door as people leave, and it said it said something to the sense of "Remember, go and make disciples." And I was like, "That's pretty cool." Mm-hmm. Just a reminder as everybody leaves: here's why we exist. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're not here for ourselves. This is not a this is not a, a social cl- country club. This we exist to empower each other to live out the mission of God, to reach people. And if that's our mission, that means we're going to have new people in here who don't aren't part of the old family and don't understand how everything works. And so we want to create a system that protects them. We want to create a system that um, is helpful for them. And when they walk in, they don't know you, you don't know them. And so if we're accomplishing our mission, that's why we're here, then we've got to put systems in place. And so just remind, casting vision, keeping the mission in front of people, reminding reminding people that it's not about us, which yeah. is a constant need. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I think that effective systems does for us, it helps us be more productive, right? It helps us get things done. Yeah. And um, I think good systems are, um, they're as simple as they can be. Right, they're thorough but simple, which is a tough balance to strike. They accomplish yeah. what they need to accomplish, but they're not overly convoluted. Yeah. Um, I think good systems, ultimately, in any organization, they're known and they're owned. So, who champions the system? So, we have some specific systems at Trinity, like you were referencing earlier, when it comes to uh, adults who work with uh, minors, youth, and children's ministry. We have specific systems as far as like there is a very spelled out. A checklist of here's the things that have to happen. I mean, there's a literal checklist that they have to check as they go of here's the things that have to happen before they actually join a ministry team to serve yeah. in the nursery or kids church or, and, um, but as a lead pastor, I, I, I know them because I was part of the conversation to help craft them, but I couldn't necessarily talk you through them all right now. Cause I'm not the one who owns them. Hmm. Who owns them is our youth pastor and our children's pastor. They own them, and they're the ones who own the responsibility to make sure that those things are taken care of. So I think of systems that help us be more productive. I think of, number one, they're clear, they're simple, but thorough, and they are owned by someone and known by the people who need to know them. Any other characteristics you can think of of a system that helps a church be productive? Well, so I, I, I did want to touch on one other thing we talked about, which is the protecting, how they protect us. Okay. And this is an important one because I think as pastors, uh, proper systems actually protect us from bad ideas and from people who have good motives but the wrong direction. Which ultimately help us be productive. So they kind of go hand in hand. That's true. Yeah. It really does go hand in hand. So you are answering my question. You're not redirecting the conversation. Yeah, you're right. Wow, look at that. Like a rebel. (laughs) So an example of this would be, you know, as a— as a say a senior pastor, there's a lot of pressure um, from people as far as people think they have great ideas. And if you're a senior pastor out there, I'm sure you have a million people. True. <laughs> a million people come up to you and go, you know what, pastor? I just had this most brilliant idea. And if you would adopt my idea, the world would be changed and the church would be so much better. Here's my idea. You let me go up and preach whenever I want. No notice. I just take the mic from you. God has told me to yeah, do this. I already told you. It's a no. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually what I said to David last Sunday. Uh, But so systems protect us from not always being the bad guy in those moments. Yeah, 
You know, someone comes up and says, here's what I think. And you say, hey, you know what? That's awesome. We've actually had a system in place. Here's what we do. We have an application. You fill yep. this out. We have whatever your system is and whatever. The, it protects you from not seeming like a jerk, um, which is good because it maintains healthy relationships. But then, honestly, it protects you from not having to fight constant battles over and over again because mm-hmm. you can just simply go, no, we've actually we have a thing in place for that and we'll process it. We'll look at it. And here's what it does. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and so I think that's an important way that you're right. It ultimately does help you become way more productive because you're not wasting so much time and energy on these kind of other battles. Yeah. One way of saying that is that systems eliminate certain decisions, don't they? Yeah, that's because good. um you know, we have people that want to use our church facilities at different times for different purposes. We have a system for that. We have people who want to join the music ministry team. We have a system for that. It's not just whosoever will. You know, right. it's like there's a very specific uh, assessment process so that we know that people with the right skill and the right gifts are in the right positions. Yeah. Now, if you don't have any of that in place, you're left making a decision every single time. And it's easy for people to perceive those decisions as being personally biased, emotional, unfair. When you have a system, they might not like your system, but that's different than them not liking your decision. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, they may not like your decision to have a system. Yeah. But at least it's a consistent system or policy or procedure as opposed to like um, sister so-and-so wants to have her birthday party in the church lobby. And we're kind of going, "Ah, I don't really know. You know, we have a system that says, well, if she's this, if this fits this criteria, and if this is available, then go ahead. And as long as they're willing to do X, Y, and Z after the event, you know, so it just helps us. And then if the system gets violated in any way, then it becomes an issue of, okay, we got to address this and we have to deal with what happened. But I think it does help us be productive to your point because it helps us not get distracted. That's Mm -hmm. one of the challenges. I remember Steve Jobs saying, um, that he was more proud of the things they didn't do than all the things they've done. Wow. You know, we got their, we're surrounded by their equipment right now. Yeah. But he's more proud of the things they said no to. I don't know how many church leaders could actually say that. You know, I think we're, we're many pastors tend to want to make people happy and, and yep. uh, there's that pressure. And we also want to empower people. So there's some genuine motivation to say yes, but uh, having the right policies and procedures and systems in place can help you say no. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about why systems can be difficult to put into place, difficult to maintain. What, what, what is so hard about having effective systems in a church? It takes work on the front end. It takes refining. You, you systems are not um, written in stone. You know, you need to, we've, we've, had, we've had to go back and change certain policies as we've realized it doesn't work. Yeah. or it's too strict or it's not strict enough, you know, so it takes work, it takes um, care, it takes somebody paying attention to it, it takes strategic thought, um, it takes a dissidence between current reality and what it could be. Hmm. So so that's one of the big issues, right, is that as long as things feel like they're getting done, as long as there's no cri- crisis or chaos, we've never had an issue with um, X, Y, and Z, why would we need a system for it, you know? Yeah. You don't want to wait till there's crisis or chaos. Yeah, you just want to Absolutely. see where are the different areas in our church where there are key tasks that we need to do every week, from assimilating visitors to to um, running the sound system to receiving and counting the offering um, to even planning out the service. What are things every week that have to get done? Okay, now let's ask the question: How do they get done? Hmm. Who's responsible for it? And then you simply just write it out as simply and clearly as you can. 
and you make sure that the right people know it and that the right person owns it. You yeah. know, but I think the challenge is it does take that work and it does take foresight, right? Yeah. It's not re- it's not reactive, it's proactive. If you're creating a react reactionary system, then you probably just came through a mess. Yeah. Now I want to I, I want to move into what I think is even a more challenging um, discipline than creating the systems, but that's maintaining the systems. Yeah. Right. And I always felt like this because I was a part of multiple youth ministries where it was like, okay, we're going to kind of revamp this and create some new stuff. And there's all kinds of energy around creating a new vision, mission, strategy, systems. Everyone's excited Mm -hmm. week one, week two, but then all of a sudden, inevitably it always happens. Week three, you start to see people not follow the systems. They start to drop week four, they drop. And before you know it, a month or two later, none of the systems you implemented are, are happening or they're like half versions of themselves. And so give us a little insight, Dave. Why do you feel like that happens and how do we make sure it doesn't? Well, people don't think about this stuff all the time. You know, I think pastors forget that. I think about church all the time. People mm-hmm. that serve on our ministry teams, they think about it when they walk in the door, you know? That's true. So they, they're not thinking about it all the time. We're not always good at doing regular reminders. You know, we do annual um, meetings with our children and youth workers as a sort of reminder of here's what our child safety policy looks like, and we have them just kind of read through it again and sign that they've read it and that they agree to it. That's something we do annually with that specific system. We don't do it with every single system that way. So I think that's one of the challenges, but I think people just forget. And sometimes le- leadership is late. You know, leaders get lazy and they think, I put a system in place that should work. No, that, you know, not necessarily. Yeah. There's a couple pieces to the puzzle here. There's the system, there's the culture of the organization. Some cultures, some organizations' cultures just do not support systems very well. So there's the systems and there's the culture. So if you, ever, if, if you were to go into a mom and pop type church tomorrow with 75 people and just... Um, give them an amazing manual of systems and then walk out is not going to happen. It's there. And yeah. within a couple weeks, no one's going to be using them. Why? Because the culture is um, very loosey goosey, very trust, very family oriented, not, yeah. not organizational um, at all. And so there's the systems, there's the culture, but then there's the communication from the leader to remind people. So that's again, who owns that system and how is it regularly communicated? Not just what the system is, but why the system matters, right? So I'll give you an example. When I was a youth pastor, we had an issue where our teenagers would all run into the youth room when service started, you know, want to hear the preacher. And uh, right, they would, all, they would right. all run into the youth room. And of course they all would sit near each other. Sorry, they would all sit near each other and then our workers, or no, that wasn't the term we used, but our, our leaders, they they were doing other things, right? So they were either like sort of like, you know, reminding the kids, hey, head on in, or they were setting up for something or they were whatever. They weren't yeah. usually running to the seats. Right. And uh, so then the leaders would end up sitting either in the back in like, you know, partly because they were couches and they were more comfy than the chairs sure. or, or they'd be sitting around the, the circle, the outside. So you got, you got, you know, 40, 50 kids in the middle, all these leaders on the outside. And then when I'm up there speaking, something's happening right in the middle of the room. These two kids are fighting with each other or talking or goofing. And I have to now address it from the stage, which I never wanted. You never want to do that as a communicator. You don't right. want to address the behavior of your audience. And so as opposed to having a leader with an arm's reach so that the leader could kind of just reach over and tap on the shoulder and say, hey, sh- you know, knock it off. And so what we did was we created a system. And 
we put signs on specific chairs strategically located in the room that said, this is a, for leaders only. Mm. And as the kids came in, we say, hey, don't do, you know, grab a seat anywhere, just don't sit in a leader seat. So then even when the leader showed up late or were walking in having finished up another responsibility, they knew there was a seat somewhere for them to get to, right? Yeah. Problem solved. You would think. No. <laughs> because the leaders got used to sitting outside or on the back couch. So what did I have to do? I had to do a couple of things. I had to make sure that the leaders understood the system, but they also had to understand the why behind the system, that we're here trying to make disciples. One of the ways that we make disciples is life on life. So first off, you can't disciple somebody from a distance. So it's about proximity. You're modeling for them during the service what it looks like to worship Jesus through music, to worship Jesus through giving, to worship Jesus through listening. But also you're helping me out because you're near enough to yeah. them where you can. So we created a system, but it required more than just a system. We had to create a culture of disciple making and leaders who didn't think of themselves as chaperones, but thought of themselves as disciple makers. And then it required me to consistently communicate, not just reactively, but proactively. Hey, here's why we're doing this. And here's why it matters. Yeah. And to be honest, it still needed. Sometimes it worked better than others. But sure. It was the right system that for the time but it needed some assistance. And I'm sure this is a big, to me, this is a huge part of it, which is I'm sure in that moment there need to be a lot of accountability because I think what happens oftentimes with systems is people are kind of like kids in the sense that, um, you know, with kids, you say, you say to your kid, here's a rule. And inevitably they want to know, is that really a rule? Or is that like, like, is this just like Dave saying, we're going to start family devotions, but no, we all know as kids, it's not going to really happen, you know, right. or is it really a rule? Like when Jared says his kids, we're going to do family devotions and we're, you know, three, four hours a day, we're just praying and fasting. You mm. know what I'm saying? We have a call in right now, Jen Berry on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> She's calling him, calling him a liar. Um, but I think, I think people pick up on some of that stuff where when you say, Hey guys, here's a new system we're doing. Okay. Leaders, everyone sit in the chair and and especially if you tend to be a leader like me that can be a little ADD in their leadership, people are kind of sit back and like, okay, is this really... It's going to last. Is this going to last? Yeah. And that takes accountability. Like that takes you going up after service and going, hey, John, I, I noticed you weren't sitting with the kids. I just want to remind you, like, here's why we're doing it. Here's why it matters. Here's why, here's why it's important. Mm-hmm. And I think leaders, you got to be willing to dog this stuff if you really care yeah. about it and yeah. fight for it. Because it takes time. And celebrate it when it's working. That's probably one thing I'm not great at. probably more important. That's probably one thing I'm not great at is like when they would do it, I would just be like, finally. (laughs) The coins dropped. You bunch of idiots. You finally got it. As opposed to like texting them later and being like, hey, I saw that you made an effort to get to a leader seat. And that made such a big difference. It helped helped me out. You send a couple messages out like that. Culture starts to change. Culture starts to change. Yeah, that's true. And that system starts to more important. And and some people actually argue that the stronger your culture is, the less policies and procedures you need. Yeah, and that's probably true. Yeah, Um, in an ideal world, your culture and your your culture is so strong and your values are so adopted and known that you almost don't need a lot of policies and procedures. But that's not the world most of us live in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, we want to we want to move on to one of our favorite portions of the podcast which is mm. the portion called David's Eats. Okay. Mm. We've we've talked about systems. We're over that now. Now we want to know a system for getting food into our mouths. We want to know what is your system for determining the best thing you've eaten all week. <laughs> if you don't if you're new to the podcast, we do a little thing called David's Eats where we uh, hear from David what's the best thing he's eaten all week. We're going to put like a little graphic up for David's Eats like like Yeah, you know we should. That we picture should that. that picture of you and I going in together on that bacon bomb like Lady and the Tramp on oh, a bowl of spaghetti. I think that that's <laughs> yeah, that's an accurate picture. 
Yeah. So, all right. So let's hear from you, man. What's the best thing you've eaten all week? Well, I went to the Taste of Syracuse on Saturday, which is a two-day food festival downtown Syracuse, Clinton Square area. Took my nephew, who's a junior in high school. He's never been before. And so um, my girls were doing something with some cousins. And so I just was kind of on my own. I actually tried to recruit Jared to go, but he's a family man. Yep, spending his Saturdays with his family, yep, that's right. and um, so we went down there. So I, I didn't, I, I didn't eat anything that that was amazing. But I, I'll I'll talk about a couple of things that we tried because the thing with this taste of Syracuse is there's there's dozens and dozens, maybe over a hundred tents of representing different restaurants and eateries, and they all sell food. But every single one of them has a one dollar sample option. Okay. So you can get a lot of different stuff and get to try a lot of different things. And so we did a lot of one dollar samples. So there's a there's a there's a thing that's big in upstate New York called tomato pie. I don't know if it's if it's somewhat specific to upstate New York. It's mostly from Utica, New York, which is about an hour east of here. And I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's like pizza without cheese on it. But Sounds it's also terrible. it's also not <laughs> it does have cheese though. It's also not served hot usually. Sounds even worse. You're, you've lost all of our viewers yeah, right no, now. No, it's amazing. It's it's a it's a when it's good the 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 base of the pie is slightly crispy, and it's cut into squares almost always. And it's got like, uh, if you don't like tomatoes, you're not going to like it. So, but it's, it's got a really tasty tomato sauce on top of it. And then it has like sprinkled white cheese throughout the sauce and on top, like a Parmesan maybe. And uh, the, the, the sauce is usually a little bit sweet. And so I tried that from, from uh, one of the stands. We also tried a maple bacon donut from Glazed and Confused here in Syracuse. Always Can't go wrong with that. Bang Bang Shrimp from Bonefish Grill, which I know is a chain restaurant. I don't usually talk about chain restaurants, but the Bang Bang Shrimp is like a lightly fried shrimp in a spicy Asian-type sauce. Yeah, I thought this was supposed to be some sort of like unique food market. I had a uh, pulled pork. What are you going to tell us I next? Had... You had a fish fillet from McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> Have you read of a frosty from Wendy? <laughs> no, I did have also pulled pork with blueberry jalapeno barbecue sauce. Oh, that's a little bit unique. Okay, yeah, and uh, bueno. All right, me well, gusta. I'm not a blueberry fan, but uh, it wasn't overly blueberry. It just kind of had a sweetness to it. Yeah, okay. it was good though. So yeah, it tastes of Syracuse. I mean, I figured I got to mention it because it's such a foodie scene. Well, I, actually, I don't think I call it a foodie scene. It's such a scene with food. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. If you are uh, anywhere you live, I bet your city or city near you has something like it. So yeah. take the opportunity to go down. It gives you the chance to try lots of different restaurants in one setting. And uh, and you get, it's a lot of great people watching because a lot of people down there are um, interesting. Enjoying their bang, bang shrimp. Yeah. 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 Their bang, bang drinks more like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, hope you're a better eater and a better leader because of this podcast. We'll Tag see you guys on. next time.